everybody. This is AJ Galanti, former president of the original Bad Boys of Hockey, the Danbury Trashers, and you're listening to the Tomahawk Roundup. Alright, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Sarosky here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by the crime and penalties legend himself, president and GM of the Danbury Trashers, AJ Galante. AJ, welcome to the Tomahawk Roundup. Frank, thanks for having me, buddy. I no worries. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm, I'm really appreciative. So first off, I have to ask you, you know, how has your life changed since Crime and Penalties came out? Like, what has been the whirlwind like for you? Oh, man, it's been, a, <laughs> it's definitely been a whirlwind. I mean, I, I um, you know, listen, it's Netflix, so you expect that, you know, it's going to be seen by a lot of people. But I mean, it's just been, um, I mean, I was just out in Vegas this past weekend for some fights. Um, and, and honestly, I was shocked how many people, you know, recognize me. And uh, it's definitely different, you know. I mean, it's like, you know, it's definitely different. Um, not saying good or bad. It's just it's just been crazy, you know. I and mean, people seem to really, it, it's, I guess the main thing is it's been a very humbling experience because so many people, um, you know, the, the reception for this doc has been, you know, for the most part, pretty positive. So it's been great to see everybody's feedback and everyone for the most part has uh you know seemed to enjoy it yeah and for those who haven't seen it crime and penalties is out on netflix right now if you haven't seen it you've been living under a rock so definitely go check that one out so the the day at school when you found out you know you're running a professional hockey team you know talk us through holding the newspaper in your hands you know oh i'm the president and general manager oh crap You know, my father and I, you know, we, we, you know, he, he kind of nonchalantly kind of told me about the situation and uh, I honestly thought he was playing around, joking around with me and uh, it comes to find out he definitely wasn't joking and really, you know, you find out that, you know, you, you, you see it in the newspaper at school and, you know, you kind of weren't ready for it and, you know, people are coming, congratulating you. It was, it was super strange and, uh, you know, you, you start to freak out a little bit, you know what I mean? For sure. You know, it's 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 uh you know it sounds cool and all, but then you realize you know this is the legit job. You know what I mean? And you don't want to you know let your father down. You don't want to let you know the city down. So it's definitely it was you know I started almost immediately feeling uh you know a lot of pressure. Yeah, and that pressure you know you, to put out a good product it obviously paid off because 15 years later we're still we're still talking about the trashers. Oh, it's uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, never in my wildest dreams would I ever think and you know. 2021, you know, we, the trashes would still be talked about to this day, um, you know, especially after our unfortunate, you know, abrupt end in 06. Yeah. Never in a million years did I, did I think, you know, this team would resurface the way the way it has. So it's definitely, like I said, it's super humbling. It, it, it's uh, it's just surreal. The whole thing is just really surreal to me. It, it really is. I mean, before the doc came out, you know, these jerseys were going on eBay for like maybe two, three hundred dollars. You're getting game worn ones going for twenty G's on eBay. It's insane. I mean, it's funny. People all day long send me things that they find on eBay and they're asking me if it's real, if it's fake. And yeah, definitely, you know, the game ones I can tell whether they're real or not. And uh, you know, some of the pricing. I mean, you're right. I saw like. Um, I saw pricing on one of them for like ten grand. I was like, "Oh my god! I hope someone doesn't pay that." For <laughs> but, you know, listen. You know, look to each his own, and, and I know there's some big heavy duty collectors out there. And, and honestly, I mean, the story doesn't seem to want to die. So you know, you never know. It's, it's like buying a piece of art, I guess. It's like an investment at this point for some people. 
it really is. So, you know, that introductory conversation that you had with then-Commissioner Richard Brassall, talk to me about that one. You know, you're like, uh, Commissioner, you have nothing to worry about. What was that initial meeting like for you? Well, listen, I mean, for, for those who did watch the doc, I mean, it was literally verbatim, you know, how he explained it. I mean, he was talking to my dad at first, um, you know, then I came in and, and just, you know, seeing his face, the shock factor, it was, uh, you know, you you could tell he didn't know what to believe, what not to believe. He thought kind of it was a goof maybe, and, uh, you know, he <laughs> definitely wasn't a goof, but, you know, I got to say, you know, Mr. Brassal was, was a great guy to me. I mean, we definitely... I definitely drove him crazy. <laughs> so, you know, I, I definitely know we had a, he had a love hate with us, but it was never real hate. It was just, you know, he had a job to do as a commissioner and uh, obviously he couldn't be biased, but uh, as you see in the doc, you know, we, we, we kind of did win him over in the end. Yeah. And I think he, he kind of, um, kind of bought into what, you know, look, a lot of good came from our team in that league. You know, obviously we, we, we produced a, tremendous amount of headaches for him but ultimately we we, we definitely um you know I, I like to say we, we did a good part in, in bringing this team you know bringing this league to a, another level in those two short seasons yeah because you look at some of the teams that were in the league like the Rockford Icehawks they're in the American League the Kalamazoo Wings they're in the East Coast League these teams are still going on and who knows what would yeah. have happened if the Trashers weren't there to kind of pump up the the UHL well, yeah, you know, you, you never, like you said, I mean, you just never know. I mean, you know, like you just named Kalamazoo and Rockford, those are two, you know, they always were some solid franchises, even when we, you know, even before we got into the league, you know, and I did some research, you know, those are two solid, um, you know, minor league hockey cities, man. Rockford was a tough team as well. Kalamazoo obviously beat us in the finals yeah. in 06. Uh, you know, great, great team. So, you know, I wish them the best, and, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to see, um, you know, some of those cities and teams, you know, can continue to flourish. Yeah, it really is because they all trace their, it's like the six degrees of X or Y, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, opening night, your your dad Jimmy gives Wingfield the call on the phone to start the fight at Center Ice. You know, was there any sort of pre-planning that went into that, or was it kind of spur of the moment <laughs> on your dad's part? Uh, you know, with my dad, you know, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I didn't know he was going to do that. So obviously he, he 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 obviously had something with T Bone possibly because T Bone had the other line of the phone. Right. So you know, I, but no, I, I think uh, knowing my father, he he probably had it planned all along. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, but, absolutely. You know, he, he, you know, you place certain things close to the vest there, and uh, you know, it, for it, sure, uh, it makes it makes for a great story. And uh, you know, what's funny about the story is it's a true story. You know, right. sometimes documentaries they there's some embellishments, but you know, it's really crazy. I, I tell you know, people have been asking me like how you know it's a great story, but how embellished was it? And I'm like, listen, man, I, it's it's so crazy to me because it was so accurate. This documentary was extremely accurate, and uh, I think that's what makes the story that much crazier. Yeah, and and the best stories are the true stories in journalism. You know, you can't you can't make stuff up and lie to your viewers. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, the best story is the one that you can prove and say this actually happened. Here's how we know it happened, and here's the behind the scenes that you might not know about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you know, how did you generate resilience within your organization after a lot of your players got suspended or banned from the league uh, due to some of the antics you were pulling? You know, did it help you learn about running a team? Well, you know, listen, 
be honest with you, we, we kind of found a loophole in the system, to be honest with you. So I forget the exact number, but you were obviously allowed to dress so many players on game night. And obviously you had some healthy scratches or sure. injury scratches, etc. But what we learned was if a player was to get suspended or even injured, you were allowed to replace that player on the roster, on the active roster. So a lot of times, I'll be very honest with you, you know, if we knew we were going to have a rough-and-tumble game or we were looking to be rough-and-tumble, we would bring some guys in that we knew weren't going to be on the active roster for long Yeah, to get suspended by the end of the week. And, uh, you know, they'd go in, do their thing, they'd get suspended, and we would just replace them the next, you know, the following Monday. You know what I mean? And then um, what they ended up doing, they called it, they kind of unofficially called it the trasher rule, but going into the second season, they, they basically implemented a rule where if a player was to be suspended you know, you lose that roster spot for the duration of the suspension. So it kind of caught on to yeah. caught on to a little loophole there that we were just bringing in guys, replacing them, bringing them in, replacing them. So we, we had to move a little differently the second season because, you know, if you get a guy suspended for 10 games, that you, you lose that roster spot for 10 games. Yeah, and that's so important. You know, one of my favorite words in the English language is the word loophole because it allows for progress. It allows for growth. It allows for things like what happened in Danbury to happen. It allows for the best things to happen because it's not what people have expected. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, listen, I mean, uh, obviously our team, especially, you know, even now, but even back then, I mean, it was a lot different back then. I mean, we got a lot of mixed reviews and, you know, listen, we did what we had to do to win. That was our goal. You know, our main goal ultimately was to win. And uh, you know what? You know, look, we, we tried, we towed the line, we, we tried to see just how far we could push things before it, it got a little out of control, and uh, listen, you just gotta, sometimes, uh, you gotta test the limits sometimes, and um, you know what, I, I think, I think ultimately, you know, the dirty secret of our team was we could actually play, so basically, you know, we were winning games, we were entertaining fans, and uh, I think it was, um, you know, we caught some lightning in a bottle there. Yeah, and that's so important that you said that because it's one thing if you're the worst team in the UHL and you're just beating the crap out of everybody every single night, but it's another thing to be doing all of that, the physicality, and then winning the game, to win the game yeah, and well, to go forward. You know, well, that's the thing is, you know, listen, we, we even before we played our first game, we knew what we were looking to build, the type of team we were looking to build, but the, the, the bottom line is, unless you're winning, it's going to get old quick, right? Right. So if you're doing all this craziness, but you're losing, you know, five to one every night, you know, fans are going to tune out. I mean, ultimately, contrary to what people may believe, you know, we, look, we definitely wanted to have fun and cause a stir and all that, but we ultimately rule number one was we, we you know, like Al Davis says, just win, baby. You know what I mean? Yeah, that absolutely. All we cared about all we cared about was winning. Um, how we went about it was a little different, but mm-hmm. that was our goal was, was to win. And, and like you said, you know, ultimately what we were doing would have never worked unless we had some success, you know, on the scoreboard, obviously. Right, right. And, you know, talking about that success on the scoreboard, you know, getting Mike Rupp, uh, how did that process evolve after the 2004-2005 lockout? You know, what were some of those conversations like between yourself and Mike Rupp? Well, I'll be very honest with you. I mean, I'm a New Jersey Devils fan, you know, back then and, and sure. now. And, uh, you know, when he won the cup for the Devils back in 03, I was at that game, game seven against the Ducks. And, uh, you know, 
um, I don't I don't initially know how Mike's Rupp, Mike Rupp's name like came about to us. I, I remember my father telling me uh, it got to him first, to be honest. And um, excuse me, basically he said, "Hey, listen, um, you know, my, my dad was a hockey fan, but maybe not as intense as me, especially in the NHL." And he said, "Hey, do you know this guy, Mike Rupp?" And I'm like, of course. I was like, that's actually the guy that we saw win the cup for the Devils in, in uh, you know, a year and a half ago, basically, right? Right. So, um, so, you know, I don't know how the initial contact started. And to be honest with you, I didn't speak to Mike Rupp until I picked him up at the airport. Oh, <laughs> so no kidding. I, 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 I technically wasn't really the one who signed him or, or found him or found him to be available. All I did was kind of, you know, my dad kind of asked me what I, my thoughts were. And I said, yeah, I mean, 100%. He fits the bill. He's, he's big, he's physical, but he can play. Um, obviously, he wouldn't have to fight on our team, you know what I mean? Uh, but he could obviously defend himself. So, yeah, it was really my father who, who kind of made that one happen. And uh, really, I, it's a funny story. I met him at the airport because, you know, I, I wanted to pick him up from the airport sure. in New York. And um, it's funny because, I mean... Uh, when he came out of the airport, I don't, you know, he knew he was getting picked up, but I, I think he was expecting like a limo driver and a suit, you know, holding a, a, you know, one of those cards with his name on it. Right. And, uh, I, I remember he's walking and I see him and I'm like, hey, Mike Rupp. And he looks at me and he waves. He's probably figuring I'm a fan who recognized him. And he keeps walking. And I was just like, hey, Mike, I was like, I'm your ride. And he's looking at me and, you know, I'm dressed in a, probably a basketball jersey, a hat or something. And, uh, you know, you saw my incredible fashion tape, yeah. obviously. So so he's looking at me like I'm crazy, and I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm, I'm AJ. And he's looking at me, and again, he, he's, he's thinking this is a goof, you know what I mean? He, he's like, this can't be for real. And I, it got to the point where I even had to show him my license. I was like, no, man, I'm, I'm AJ. I'm taking, you, I'm taking you to Danbury. And he was so bugged out about it, but once we got to the arena, he realized it was for real, and, uh, you know, he... Uh, you know, we, 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 we got super close right away after that. Yeah, and that that's that's an incredible story that I don't think I've heard before about the airport where it's like the driver's license. So that's something we're going to be putting in the byline for Twitter. That's definitely something unique. <laughs> yeah, no, he definitely, trust me, he definitely didn't believe me. that. Uh, I mean, he like, it was so funny because he just saw me and I, I recognized him. I said, hi, I waved at him and he just kind of waved at me, smiled, and kept walking, you know, and uh, he had no idea I was his ride. It was, it was really funny. Yeah, and that's such a great story. So, you know, talking about that that Colonial Cup, obviously, you know, you came up short in that season, but almost, do you think it was a, a sense of losing the battle and winning the war kind of thing, wherein you didn't win the championship, maybe, but you cemented your legacy in the hockey community forever? Well, listen, you know, uh, listen, you know, story, like I said in the beginning, you know, they teach you at, you know, they'll teach you from preschool, right? That bad guys aren't going to win in the end, right? Right. So, you know what? I think it was almost, you know, growing up, you know, you always watch the movies and, and the good guys always seem to win in the end and the bad guys, even if they, you know, they seem to have an edge, they always lose. And, you know, look, it wasn't supposed to be. I, I think it's perfect that we never, I know it sounds crazy, but I, I actually think it's perfect we didn't win the cup. Because the way we, we played, and we weren't supposed to win a championship, right? Like, I just, it, it's kind of like, for storytelling, it's, it's, I think it's apropos that, that <laughs> we didn't win it, you know? And, um, you know, ultimately, here we are, people are still talking about us, and we were never a championship team. So I, things work in funny ways, they really 
they really do. And that's the, that's the kind of thing, you know, it's the storybook ending. You know, maybe you weren't supposed to win, but your legacy as the greatest bad guy, if you will, has been captured forever in the hearts of hockey fans uh, everywhere. I know. It's, it's, it's so surreal. It, it really is. And, uh, you know, it's a lesson that seriously, you know, I, you know, uh, bad guys are not supposed to win it all in the end. And, uh, you know, so maybe it was a little bit of karma. Yeah, no, but don't, don't worry about that. You've definitely cemented the legacy of the trashers forever. So on a more serious note, you know, after your dad left in after the the team folded you know how did you how did you carry on you know i know i know people that have had relatives that have passed away or gone to prison you know how did you carry on you know what was what was the initial life post trashers for you oh i mean it was to be blunt with you it was terrible i mean um you know it was a, it was a double it was double jeopardy for me um yeah you know, we lost the team which Right. We rose so fast and we fell so fast. And um, it was a tough pill to swallow, especially I was still a teenager. So, you know, it was a tough pill to swallow. And, um, you know, honestly, you know, that was, and as tough as that was, that was secondary to, you know, my father, unfortunately, you know, going away. And, you know, it was it was tough, man. I mean, listen, you know, I, we, 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 you know, my family was built to handle it. You know, I was built to handle it. It was very tough for all of us. But uh, you know what? You got to find a way um, to keep moving forward. But I'll be honest with you. I mean, it, it's not like it was the sports fault. But I stopped watching hockey. You know, altogether. I mean, it was it was like PTSD for me. I couldn't watch hockey. I, I didn't want to watch it. And uh, it was very, it was a struggle. And um, to be honest, I, I only started re-watching hockey again about three years ago when I initially got contacted by Netflix to do this thing. So, I mean, I, I've slowly kind of found my love for the game again. It's kind of weird how, how life comes full circle at times. And, sure. Uh, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I'm back watching my Devils and, you know, trying to, you know, learn the landscape, who's who, what's what, who's the good players, who, you know. And, uh, man, I, I miss it. I know today's opening night of the NHL, I believe. So it's... uh. You know, it's it's fun, man. It's uh, it's it's it's. I really rediscovered the hockey community and, and how much I love it and and how loyal they are and uh, you know they've been so good to us. You know, just I mean the doc has only been out a little over a month and just the the tremendous amount of love and respect and support we're getting is uh, it's 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 overwhelming at times. And yeah, and when you're talking about that, everybody has their own battles. And I, and like you said, you know, you you find a way to move forward. But the hockey community is always there for one of his, uh, one of their own. And I think that that time away almost made you enjoy hockey, or if that makes sense. Oh, uh, dude, a thousand percent. I mean, sometimes you know, it, it, it's funny if if you abstain from eating ice cream for a year and then you have it a year later, you love it that much more, right? So yeah, I mean, it's it's. So, you know, where did the inspiration for that boxing 
school and ring that you have now come from? You know, how did the passion for hockey and pro wrestling carry over into this boxing school that you have? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, again, I got into boxing uh, ten and a half years ago, and um, it, it's crazy because I got into boxing almost as weird as I got into professional hockey. I mean, I got into professional hockey, you know, thinking my dad was joking and I agreed to be a GM of a minor league hockey team at dinner one night. You know, it was a 13-second conversation. And then I got into boxing. Just, you know, life takes you in weird paths, bro. And, uh, you know, I got into hockey, you know, 2011. I mean, excuse me. I got into boxing in 2011. It was a weird situation I found myself in. But I have a very obsessive personality. So when I realized that this could possibly fill a void for me that I, that I missed, you know, after losing the team, um, you know, I just I just go full on, man. You know, you got to take the bull by the horns, and and you got to take it full on sometimes. And uh, here I am, you know, over a decade later, you know, still in the sport, and it feels like it's been two days. And then, you know, the trashes was only two seasons, and it feels like it was a hundred years. So it makes no sense sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah, it makes complete sense. You know, I'm the same way. If there's a little ounce of something that I can grab onto and go 120% into, I'm going to take it. I'm going to go all out and say, let's do this. Let's give it everything we have and don't stop yep. until you achieve what you want. No, you, ha- you have to. And, you know, it's one of those things where um, you have to always be ready in life because whether, like, it's going to be the most, you know, you could prepare for something all you want, but there's always, you know, there's going to be something that comes up good, bad, and different. You always have to be ready for what comes and you got to be able to adjust. You know, we teach our boxers, you know, the main difference between, you know, there's a lot of differences and a lot of similarities, but one of the main differences between boxing and hockey is, listen, you're playing on the trashers, you know, you have your season schedule. Like, you know when you're playing, where you're playing, etc. Boxing, there's no set schedule. So, you, you know, the boxers are always taught, you know, you got to be ready, you know, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. You know what I mean? So, yeah. it's one of those things in life, it's very similar. You have to be ready to always be ready to pivot and adjust to anything life throws at you. And when the opportunity is there... Sometimes you just got to take it, you know, you got to shoot first and ask questions later, go for it. Yeah, and that's that that shoot first, ask questions later, it fits a lot of situations in hockey and it certainly helped me in some situations and it's blown up in my face in some situations, but you have of to course. take but you have to take the risk in order to reap the benefits. Well, listen, I've never I've never seen a I've never seen a baseball player that batted a thousand, right? Right. So the way I tell kids is, you know, the kids in my gym, even when it has to do with school, listen, Think of it as your batting average, right? You're going to have good days at the plate, bad days at the plate. It's all a wave. As long as you stay consistent and do your best, that's all that matters. Right, right. You know, so what's next for AJ Galante? You know, what are you hoping to do in the next coming years? Like, what what are you, what are some of your plans and ambitions going forward? Frank, honestly, dude, I have no idea. I live every day, to be honest with you. I don't, I used to be a big time planner. I would try to plan every little thing out. But now, you know, I, I'm big into boxing. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to grow my grow my stable of fighters out here in Danbury. I'm trying to, um, you know, do maybe some more promotion in terms of promoting shows. But, uh, you know, every day's a grind. You know, um, I think what, what keeps me going in boxing is, you know, we have a youth program out of my gym. We help a lot of kids. You know, um, 
you know, it's more than just boxing. It's helping them with school, helping them with life. And, you know, that to me brings me the most joy at this point. And, uh, you know, frankly, getting these kids into hockey. I mean, um, you know, I just bought a street hockey net. We put it behind my boxing gym. And, you know, I, we got a couple sticks. You throw the kids back there and you let them go at it. And, uh, you know, a lot of these kids would have never picked up a hockey stick before. So, you know, I, if I could give back to hockey um, in the smallest way I can, you know, I'm going to do that and try to introduce kids to the sport. Yeah, and that's, that's a, like you said, a very humbling thing to do because the sport's given so much to you. It's given a lot to me in my short time broadcasting, you know, and giving back in any way we can, it really helps the sport grow. Well, listen, you know, hockey, hockey's such a beautiful sport. And again, I got into hockey, you know, in the early 90s here in Danbury, Connecticut, an hour north of New York City. It wasn't a hockey hotbed, right? So, you know, we didn't even have an ice rink at the time when I started playing hockey. Right. So, you know, hockey's grown in the area, but, you know, hockey is one of those sports where you gotta, it's gotta be hands-on. You gotta bring kids to the games for them to really appreciate it. It's, it's tough sometimes on TV for kids that don't understand the game. And, uh, you know, listen, like I said, you know, I, I really, I really rediscovered my love for the sport through this whole process with this documentary and, and you know, any way I can give back is uh, something I'm looking to do. Yeah, AJ, before we head out today, is there anything else you want to add for our listeners around the U.S., Canada, International, or anywhere else? No, I just, you know, I appreciate the support. Um, thank you for everyone that tuned into the documentary, whether you liked it, disliked it, I, I appreciate it. And uh, who, those who haven't watched it, I hope you could check it out. And, um, you know, I hope that everyone enjoys it. AJ Galante, former president and general manager of the Danbury Trashers, original bad boys of hockey. AJ, thank you so much for the time. Thank you, buddy. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity.